Hey, everybody. This is uh, Nariko Watt. I'm here on X-Ray FM, and I'm here with Kira Lindenberg. Uh, Kira Lindenberg is on the line, and they talk to us every week from the Science Project, the nonprofit educational group that inspires kids and adults to use science and explore the world around them. Good morning, Kira and Kira. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. morning. <laughs> so um, we noticed that you guys were talking about politics all morning. That sounds stressful. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but last week we talked about how being stressed out causes your cortisol levels to spike, which suppresses your immune system, which is bad. And we want you all to be happy and healthy, so we thought we'd talk about something way less stressful. I also don't know if you listened to last week, but if you remember, uh, Ed Hill was joking about getting high a lot. So this one's for you, Ed. You inspired us. Today's show is all about weed science. (laughs) So I have to mention that this has been one of the most exhausting shows we have ever put together because... Wow, information about cannabis is everywhere, and it's incredibly disjointed. There were so many times that I, like, quote-unquote, learned something just to find totally contradictory information from the next source. Which is a really good reminder that doing extensive research to find credible sources is super important. Oh, so you mean like not my next door neighbor who wears swears that weed is given to us by aliens from outer space? Yeah, well, that's a good example that verifying the credibility of your sources should pretty much be your first step when looking for any kind of information you plan to rely on. Yeah, so daunting as it was, we set out to discover the most interesting and factually accurate scientific information about cannabis. And we uncovered so much that we decided to split this topic into two shows. Today, in part one, we'll cover the cannabis plants and how THC gets people high. And then next week in part two, we'll dive a little deeper and talk about CBDs and share some of the awesome research being done on the huge array of medicinal uses cannabis may have. So let's start by breaking down what we're talking about when we say cannabis. Uh, Current research divides the plant into three subspecies. You've got sativa, you've got indica, and you've got ruderalis. All three are able to interbreed and produce viable offspring, which is the reason we have so many different genetic variations or strains of cannabis. Okay, so like purple kush and white widow are strains, right? But indica and sativa are a subspecies? Yeah, somebody did their research. You got it. Well, it says it right here. (laughs) Don't give it away, Jefferson. (laughs) Well, he did. The use of various subspecies of cannabis by humans is not a new phenomenon, just so everybody's clear. Our relationship with the plant starts back almost 12,000 years ago, when we probably first used it as a fiber. And the oldest known evidence that humans recognize cannabis' psychoactive characteristics, which are its ability to alter mood, perception, and consciousness, those go back to about 3000 AD, where burned and mummified remains of psychoactive cannabis has been found in the 5,000-year-old barrel mounds of noblemen in Siberia and China. So, wait, isn't that redundant to say psychoactive cannabis? I mean, I think uh, everyone here knows that cannabis is a psychoactive substance. I mean, it, it gets you high, right? Everybody does know. <laughs> well, but not all cannabis is psychoactive. Really? Because can- yeah, can- well, I mean, cannabis ruderalis isn't. That's the subspecies that we call hemp. Uh, cannabis ruderalis plays an important role in recolonizing disturbed or destroyed ecosystems, which is a characteristic we call ruderal. Hemp is also great for making cloth, oil, fuel, paper, vegan burgers, and most recently, cannabidiol, which is, you probably know, a CBD oil, which we'll talk more about next week. 
And because ruderalis, or hemp, is not considered psychoactive, it is commonly misconstrued that it is completely devoid of tetrahydrocannabinol, more commonly known as THC, which is the chemical that produces these euphoric feelings and the psychoactive effects. It's what gets you high. So remember, ruralis, while it is a subspecies, is still cannabis, and all cannabis produces the same chemicals, just in varying amounts. So THC is actually present in the hemp plant, but simply at much lower levels than the other two subspecies, and the percentage depends on the individual plant itself. So let's talk a little bit about those other subspecies, cannabis sativa and cannabis indica. Okay, yeah, so uh, doesn't sativa produce, like, a head high while indica, like, strains make, make you, like, more of a body high? Are you, doing, are you saying, speaking this from research, Nariko, yeah. or from personal experience? <laughs> this, is, this is exactly all of my own thoughts. And I'm <laughs> Just saying, from Wikipedia? Totally you like, read about this. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, you're writing a book on it, right? You guys are so um, prepared. <laughs> so this, this is commonly thought to be the case, Then most people will chalk it up to differing levels of THC between the two subspecies, but... Cannabinoid levels differ much more across the strains, meaning like your sour diesel versus your OG Kush, than they do across indicators. I like it when you say OG Kush. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's just just like a very scientific conversation and then just OG Kush. (laughs) That's like, I don't know. Scientific Uh, distinction, kind of, almost (laughs) soon it will be. Crazy stuff, too, is that strains like OG Kush have been so interbred over the years that without and more thorough genetic testing, which is something that's actually being done right now, uh, it's impossible to be certain which strains fall under which subspecies. Which, okay, I know that might be earth-shattering news for some of us who have held so tightly to this distinction between indica and sativa, but it makes sense because the cannabis plant contains an enormous amount of intriguing chemicals, and we don't even fully understand how they are all distributed within each strain. Almost 500 different molecular compounds have so far been identified in the cannabis plant. More than 60 of these make up the group known as the cannabinoids, to which the very popular THC and CBD both belong to. The rest of them are like other organic molecules, hydrocarbons, carbohydrates, fatty acids, terpenes, you know, those guys. And both THC and CBD are produced in small but visible crystal formations, coating the cannabis flowers or buds, and they're synthesized by secretory cells inside the trichomes, which is just a fancy word for specialized hairs, and those show up on the surface of lots of different plants. We'll talk more about CBDs on next week's show. For now, let's take a look at THC. Right. So as you guys said, THC gets you high, but how does it do that? Like, I mean, we all know that it does, but like what's going on in our brains? Again, I want to ask, when you say we all know, Look, is that I, because you've heard or is that because you have some personal experience? I read about it in Jim McDermott's book, Bitter is the Wind. Right. Cool. Let's go with that story. That's what's known as a callback, folks, in the business, by the business, I mean the industry. Go ahead. Well done, guys. So THC just so happens to be molecularly similar to a neurotransmitter our bodies make naturally, a chemical called anandamine. And the body, we call this the body's natural bliss molecule because this naturally occurring trans- neurotransmitter is responsible for regulating the body's mood and emotions, but also appetite, pain level, sleep cycle, perception, and memory. So a molecule of THC, it's tiny, but it still has a particular shape, a shape that makes it possible for the THC molecule to attach itself to these receptors that are in our central nervous systems. And these receptors exist to normally accept anandamide. 
So when THC is introduced into the body, it passes through the blood-brain barrier, which in itself is interesting, and binds mm-hmm. to these receptors that were originally meant for anandamide. So, you know, what a jerk you are, THC, taking up all those receptors. <laughs> but when it does, it causes alterations in, you guessed it, the same things that anandamide would influence. Your mood, your emotions, your appetite, pain level, perception, memory, etc. So to see what's happening, let's zoom in further, straight to a synapse. Get out your microscope, everybody. The place where two neurons meet and exchange messages. So when THC binds to the anandamide receptor... It prevents the activity of something called cyclical AMP, which is an enzyme that eventually leads to the release of neurotransmitters. And if you don't remember, neurotransmitters are the messenger molecules that send the signal from one neuron to the next, saying, hey, we're excited, we've had a thought, and you should pass it on. Except in this case, the thought isn't being passed on because the THC is standing in the way. Jerk. What a jerk. Okay, and what are the results of halting the messages these neurons were going to send? Well, some of the most common include fixating on single thoughts, impairment of new memory formation, and the dampening of pain signals to the brain. Ooh, maybe it's not such a jerk. But if you're a young person whose brain is still developing, the effects could actually be much different. Research on this subject is still being done, so that's why it's often recommended to not smoke weed until you're older and your brain is fully developed. What if but your brain what? never fully develops, like in my, oh. in my specific case? Maybe you <laughs> could do some more at-home research show. about that. Uh, I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> so one known outcome of THC-obstructing neurotransmitters is that excess dopamine is released into the brain. Uh, dopamine is the neurotransmitter involved in giving us feelings of reward and pleasure, which is part of why feeling high feels so good. But um, isn't that bad? Isn't that how you get addicted to a drug? Like why... Why people can't kick heroin or cocaine? You're halfway there. So long-lasting elevated levels of dopamine in the brain can lead to serious addiction. But the key phrase here is long-lasting. This is because maintaining extended levels of dopamine over long periods of time causes your brain to create more and more dopamine receptors, which you then need more and more dopamine to fill and kind of keep up all those good feels. But luckily for those of you fond of using cannabis for um, totally academic research, you said, right? Yeah, we're looking uh, at you, Nico. <laughs> yeah. There was a 2012 study done by the Society of Biological Psychiatry that found like, unlike many other common drugs, frequent use of marijuana only leads to temporary changes in dopamine levels. So this indicates that it's much less addictive than some other drugs. So to recap, what happens when THC enters your body is that it blocks the release of some very key neurotransmitters, and the result is lessened pain, altered perception, and a nice feeling of euphoria. But also impaired judgment, slowed reaction time, and terrible memory, because let's face it, your neural pathways are operating at half speed. So that's why it's still a terrible idea to drive a car, operate heavy machinery while high. Yeah. Well, it sounds like cannabis exists solely for the benefit of humans, right? Less pain, euphoria, truly a gift from the gods. Uh, Who knows, really? I mean, it's nice to think that the universe is that human-centric, but hey, it's not. (laughs) Cannabinoids are thought to exist as a natural form of pest control for the plant, as well as protection against UV radiation, wind, and cold. And the fact that our brains interact so well with the many chemical compounds found in cannabis is an awesome, incredible thing, uh, and one that is still being extensively studied. So if you tune in to next week's show, we'll talk about some of the other cannabis components and their potentially groundbreaking medicinal value. That's all we got for you Is it all upside? 
Like it, it, it it's like so. So yes. here's is <laughs> because because we've been people have been using the green cross about the health impacts mm-hmm. that you know that that weed is healthy. In the next episode, in the next installment, are we gonna ex- are we gonna explore potential risks, or is it all to the good? Is in my brain gonna work better? Am I gonna be healthier? Am I gonna cure cancer forever Woo! if I just smoke all the time? Man, you, you've got some strong cure cancer claims. Forever, the end. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, the nice thing is that a lot of the research is showing that there are more medical benefits than we ever realized. Uh, there probably are also side effects because everything right has now? side effects. <laughs> Nine o'clock in the morning? I don't know. I mean, you say it's so healthy. Maybe it should be the first thing that we do. I'm, it's not, just not. I'm not fessing up to anything. <laughs> well, I think it's important to remember that all substances have an upside and a downside. As my great-grandfather used to say, everything in moderation. So next week we'll talk about, you know, there are negatives and there are positives. And, uh, you know, we're we're not here to tell you what to do. We're not doctors as much as, you know, you want us to be your doctor on we're not doctors. We're just here to give you the, the research that's out there. Well, one negative side effect I think we can all agree is that uh, you can watch a lot more bad TV, and it doesn't seem that bad. <laughs> yeah. You can eat a lot more unhealthy food, and it doesn't seem that unhealthy. Yeah, Funyuns seem just fine. They are just fine. Yeah, I'm I just saying. It's subjective. Like, that, TV, that might be good. That might be bad. You're watching terrible TV. Here's two predictions. One prediction is we're all going to get brain cancer from cell phones. Second prediction, we're going to learn that not all this stuff is a free ride. But we'll discover this <laughs> or discuss it at least a little bit on the next installment of Everything <laughs> is Interesting with Kira and Kira. Thank you so much for having us again. Thank you, guys. Yeah. We want to say thank you so much. Please do call 503-205-0333. Go to xray.fm. Click the blue donate button. It's the pledge drive. We need another. We need one more person. We need one more person.